So as I said before, probably one of the most um, familiar stories in the whole of the New Testament. This story about uh, a farmer who goes to sow his seed. And uh, just before we get into the story, just to set the, the context, the chapter begins with Jesus uh, travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Just to stop right there, just remind ourselves that, that Jesus is good news. The message that he brought to the world was, was good news, the message of the kingdom of God, because it's about God's rule and reign breaking into the world. It's about God putting right things that have gone wrong. It's about God restoring a broken relationship, our relationship with him that was broken. And all the consequences of that that we see in the suffering of our world, Jesus comes to restore, to redeem, to rescue, to rebuild. He is good news. I, you know, I defy anybody to read the four Gospels and come away with any other impression other than that Jesus is good news. So right at the start, let's just nail that down and be reminded of that. Jesus, he is good news. And the 12 are with him on this occasion. The 12 apostles, but not just the 12, also these women whose lives have been touched and changed by Jesus. They've been cured of evil spirits and diseases. And just to know, verse 3, one of these women is Joanna, the wife of Chuzah, the manager of Herod's household. So often we, these little um, incidental details, we skip past them and we miss their significance because we want to get on to the actual parable. But just think for a moment about who this lady is. She is the wife of Chuzah, the manager of Herod's household. This is Herod who is threatened by Jesus. He's threatened by another king. He's the, the tetrarch of Galilee. He's the ruler of the whole region of Galilee. He's the one who puts John the Baptist to death. He's the one ultimately that sends Jesus to the cross. And yet here, right at the heart of his household, is a follower of Jesus. How, how risky for her to be a Christian in the household of Herod. Extraordinary. But she's there as a follower of Jesus because somehow she's encountered Jesus and her life has been changed by him. So these, um, this community, uh, the 12 apostles and these women whose lives have been touched and changed, they don't need any convincing that Jesus is good news. They know that he is good news. And one of the things about knowing that your life has been touched and changed by Jesus is you are incredibly enthusiastic about Jesus. You know the difference that he's made. And uh, one of the things that you often want to do is you want to tell other people about that. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you know your life has been touched and changed by Jesus, let me tell you that the most frustrating thing in the world is that other people don't get it. When you try and tell people about the good news of Jesus and when you try and tell them the difference that he has made your life, the love that you have discovered, the forgiveness that you've encountered, the mercy that you've encountered, the hope that you now have. And you try and share that and, and people just go, oh, that's nice. Well, it, it just, and it's so frustrating. And I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus tells this story now is because, you know, he's, he's, he's telling people about the good news of the kingdom and these the 12 apostles and these women, 
You know, they're the kind of, you know, they're in the first wave. They're the first adopters. They don't need any convincing. And Jesus wants to help them understand why not everyone is going to get it. So that they don't become too, too disappointed or too discouraged. Because it is discouraging when you try and share something that you're certain about. And the people you share with, they just, they just don't get it. It's like water off a duck's back. And so I think Jesus tells this parable to get them to, to see, well... As enthusiastic as you are, and as convinced as you are that I am good news, don't be too discouraged because it's not the, it's not the message that is the problem. It's the receptiveness of the lives into which it is spoken that causes issues. So I think that's why Jesus tells this story at this point. is because this, this closest community around him, he just wants them to understand not everyone is going to be as enthusiastic as you are. Not everyone is going to get it. And there are good reasons why that is the case, which is what we'll come on to in a moment. So verses 4 to 8, Jesus tells the parable. We know it from, you've just had it read, I'm not going to go through it again, because I want to really unpack his, Jesus' explanation, his interpretation. But just a little comment on uh, verse uh, 8 and 9, the end of verse 8 and 9. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what the parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. It seems on the surface a little bit obtuse that Jesus seems to be saying he is going to speak in, in a deliberate way so that people will not understand. You kind of think, well, why not just spell it out? Why not just speak clearly? The context of the verse that Jesus quotes is from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9. It's a time in the Old Testament where the people of God are on the cusp of disaster because of their rejection of God and rejection of God's ways and their rebellion against God. And they are, Isaiah is speaking at a time just before they are exiled. Things are going very badly wrong. And God calls Isaiah to speak into that situation, but in such a way that that people just won't get it, that the judgment that they're facing will fall upon them. And I think the way to understand it is to think, well, God could speak in such a way that would be utterly unmistakable. You know, God could shout from heaven, he could reveal himself in such a way that every human being on the planet would have no option but to respond. But actually, that's not what God is about, God isn't about forcing people into relationship with him who don't want that relationship. God is about expressing and extending his love to us in such a way that we still have an option. We can still choose whether or not to respond. And so God reveals himself more subtly than perhaps sometimes we might like. Because he, he invites us, he kind of woos us into the relationship and those who have ears to hear will hear. And those who have eyes to see will see. But those whose hearts are set against him will, you know, they'll miss it. Because God isn't going to force us. And I think that's the way to understand uh, what Jesus is saying. And why these disciples, the, his closest friends, uh, well, God is going to make it clear to them. Because they're already on board. They've already turned their hearts towards God. So then Jesus begins to unpack the parable, verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. It's God speaking into our lives, into our world. Um, 
often when we, we read the Word of God, immediately we think of Scripture, we think of the Bible. But we just need to think a little bit wider than that, because obviously when Jesus is speaking, um, half the Bible hadn't been written, the New Testament didn't exist, and the Gospels hadn't been written, and the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the letters in the New Testament, uh, wasn't even a Christian. He began by persecuting Christians and locking them up and having them arrested. So, um, uh, so when Jesus says the seed is the word of God, it's a bit broader than, than the scripture. Because say the New Testament doesn't exist. It's about the fact that God speaks. And are we listening? Yes, primarily God speaks through his son Jesus. And he speaks primarily through scripture. And God never speaks in such a way that contradicts his revelation in Jesus and in scripture. But God can speak to us in all kinds of ways. I've just heard this week of God speaking into someone's life through a dream in such a way that they came to put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. God is a God of revelation, a God who has always spoken. Are we listening? And then there are four types of ground into which the word of God uh, lands. Firstly, those along the path, the path, are the ones you hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. The seed, it lands on the path and the path is hard, it's compacted, it's trodden down. And the seed that lands on the path never even germinates. It gets snatched away before it even germinates. And there are those who who hear the good news of the kingdom. They hear the good news about Jesus and the word literally just bounces off. It bounces off their lives. They hear it and it's gone immediately because their hearts, their lives have become hardened to anything about God. I hear it um, all the time. Uh, people who, uh, um, you know, it just, it, just, it just bounces off. It doesn't register at all. And why is it that people's lives and hearts become hardened to hearing about Jesus? There are lots of reasons, but I think perhaps primarily the biggest reasons why people's hearts become hardened to the good news of Jesus are the problems of suffering and injustice. Um, just literally this morning, I had a comment on uh, one of my Turn the Page posts that I put out last week, and the comment uh, was this, and you have to imagine the, the, the comment being made uh, kind of sarcastically, but this was the response. Uh, oh, God has helped so much during the pandemic, watching thousands die. God's intervention during the Holocaust with six million deaths and the genocides of Rwanda and Bosnia and your divine input during world wars. You, God, didn't do a thing because gods don't exist. Classic. I hear it all the time. It's the biggest objection. I think it's the biggest reason why people's hearts become hardened to the good news of Jesus. It's because, well, where is God in the suffering and injustice of our world? And it's really valid. It's really valid. I'm not going to dismiss it for a moment. And this is not the place to really kind of unpack and give an answer to that. I just say a couple of things. If you... If you go down that line and you remove God and you solve that problem by saying, well, actually, there can't be a God and there isn't a God, do you gain anything? Does dismissing God make any difference to the suffering and the injustice that we experience? 
No, makes no difference whatsoever. The suffering and injustice are still there. Do you lose anything by removing God? And the answer is yes. Because what you lose is any sense of, an, of ultimate hope. Any sense of ultimate purpose. Any sense that actually um, there might be a purpose. There might be a reason why there's suffering. Uh, I, was just, uh, I was talking to a friend just this week and they, was, they were telling me that their neighbour or near neighbour had taken their own life. And they'd taken their own life because their spouse of some 30, 40 years had died from cancer and so they could now no longer see any reason to carry on living. And tragically and sadly, they took their life because they could see no hope, no reason to go on. And obviously now their, you know, their family and their friends are, are devastated and thinking, well, you know, what, you know, maybe we should have realised, we should have done something. That's what happens when you take God out of the equation. You don't actually, it doesn't make the world suddenly lose suffering and injustice. It just means you lose any sense of, of ultimate hope for any reason sometimes why to go on. And with justice and injustice, when you take God out, all you do is make injustice worse. Because so often the wicked get away with being wicked and never have to give an account. Put God back in and you do end up with ultimate justice because one day we'll all stand before God, a God of justice and a God of love and have to give an account of our lives. The wicked don't get away with being wicked if you put God back in. So I'm praying for the guy who put that post up on, made that comment to my post this morning and I'm praying for those who's whose hearts have been hardened because of their experience of life, because of tragedy that has befallen them, and because of things that have, have happened. It, it, does, it hardens people's hearts towards the gospel. And we need to be praying for our friends and family members who are in that place. I know people whose hearts are hardened because you know, they've lost children. They've lost people in tragic circumstances. They've suffered and they're not able to see where God might be in it. So the first seed, it falls on, on a path that is hard and it never even germinates, never even begins to grow. Then the next lot of seed um, falls on the rock. These are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they don't have a root. Um, I guess like a lot of people during the lockdown, I've spent a lot of time in the garden. And one of the things that I've done is, uh, or tried to do is recover a rockery, well it's, it was supposed to be a rockery, from all the weeds that have grown in it. And uh, one of the things that I discovered in doing that was a lot of plants were growing on the rocks. And I'm kind of thinking, well, how can this plant be growing out of a rock? Uh, and then I'd sort of look a bit more closely and there'd literally be one or two millimetres of soil that are kind of blown on top of the rock. And it was enough for quite a substantial plant to grow on the rock. But it was dead easy weeding because all I had to do was peel it off because it had absolutely nothing holding it down. It had no root, had put down no root at all and I just peeled it off and threw it away. And sometimes, and I've known people like this sadly over the years, that sometimes people hear the good news of Jesus and they respond really enthusiastically but they don't take the next step of actually starting to put down roots 
And so when something bad happens or some suffering comes along, they very quickly fall away because they don't, haven't kind of put down those roots of understanding that actually when you come to Jesus, it's not that suddenly life all becomes a bed of roses and that you never suffer again and that everything is going to be you know, hunky-dory for the rest of your life. That's not the deal. That's not how it works. Uh, and sometimes people, they come to Jesus because they find forgiveness and they think, this is amazing. God loves me and he forgives me. And, but then they never get any further in the relationship. And so a tragedy befalls them. And it's like, oh, well, maybe God isn't the God that I, that I thought he was. Just some counsel from um, Psalm 1, the very first psalm. And uh, the first psalm begins like this. He writes, blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Just wonderful advice for, uh, for anyone who hears the good news of Jesus and responds you then have to take some action. You then have to make some concrete choices about how you're going to live from then on in. And the two things that the psalmist says are, first of all, make a decision about who is going to be the chief influence in your life. Who are you going to surround yourself with who will encourage you in the way that you're now going to live? So the psalmist says, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. In other words, you need to start associating with people who are walking the same path as you are, which is why being part of a church community is so important. We've had to do it virtually for the last three months. But however you do it, it's so important to be part of a community of people who are following the way of Jesus so that we can encourage one another, we can strengthen one another, we can wrestle with scripture together, we can put down roots together. The second advice that the psalmist has is his, their delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law they meditate day and night. When I first started following Jesus at the age of 17, the first thing that I was encouraged to do was for a few minutes a day, and it began literally as five minutes a day, was to spend five minutes reading something from the Bible and meditating on it and just thinking, what is God saying? Is there, is there a promise? Is there a challenge? Is there... And that was how I began at the age of 17. I began putting down roots into God's word. And in the last 38 years, uh, some of you know, uh, you know, I've been through all kinds of storms of life, all kinds of things that have not gone the way that I anticipated. And the thing that has kept me strong has been the fact that I put down roots in the word of God and was established in a church family and had people around me who, who, who kind of held me up uh, when I was falling down. So if you're following Jesus, don't neglect those things. Put down roots so that you're not, you don't fall away when the time of testing comes. Third ground, verse 14 I'm not actually going to tackle this this morning, but it's the third seed that fell among thorns, which stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not 
mature. We're going to come back to that next Sunday. And next Sunday, I'm, I'm literally just going to unpack verse 14. Uh, because I think it is the key verse um, in this passage. And I think it's the key verse that most of us need to hear. So we'll come back to that next week. The fourth ground that the seed lands on is good soil. Verse 15, the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And uh, when you go back to the, the parable itself, it's a tremendous crop. It's way beyond anything that any farmer would possibly expect or anticipate. Uh, uh, back to verse um, 8, it came up, yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown and in um, other gospels it's you know 30 60 100 times it's a magnificent crop that is produced and uh, we can think of christians through the ages and christians in the last couple of generations who have been amazingly productive in terms of winning people for christ there are obvious names that spring to mind people like um uh, catherine coleman or, or billy graham or in our own generation, J. John or, or Christine Kane, uh, people who have responded to the word of God in such a way that they have become incredibly productive in terms of winning people to Christ, have spoken to hundreds of thousands. Uh, they're not all famous. One of my favourite stories is the story of a guy called uh, Mr. Genor or Mr. Jenner, who most of you will never have heard of. If you have time, um, Google Mr. Mr. Genor, G-E-N-O-R, and you will find a nine-minute um, recording uh, just speaking about his testimony. He was a guy whose life was transformed um, in the Navy. He, was, he got into trouble. He went to the, the, um, the, the ship's chaplain, and the chaplain led him to Christ. And Mr. Genor was so, um, so overwhelmed by the love that he discovered in Jesus that he made a commitment that for the rest of his life, as far as he was able, he would share Jesus with 10 people a day. And he wasn't always able to do it, sometimes he wasn't well, but he made that commitment that 10 times a day he would try and share the good news of Jesus with somebody. And for many years he did that in Sydney, Australia, in George Street, and he would stand on the street, and every time someone went past, he would step out, he would hand them a Christian, uh, a little Christian booklet, and he would say, um, uh, hello, uh, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? And for years and years, he was faithful in doing that, out of gratitude to the difference that Jesus has made in his life. If you die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? And um, over the many, many years that he did that, he never knew whether anybody ever responded. He just did it out of gratitude to the difference that Jesus has made in his life. He just wanted to, to share it. And for year after year after year, that's what he did. George Street, Australia. Long story short, two weeks before he died in 1977, someone uh, who had met many people who had come to faith because of what Mr. Genor had done on George Street, Australia, found him in Australia in a nursing home. Two weeks before he died, he went to him and shared him the impact that he had made. And literally... Because of Mr. Genor's faithfulness, hundreds of thousands of people had come to faith in Jesus Christ, including at that time, 
the chaplain general of the US Navy in charge of a thousand chaplains who were sharing Jesus day in, day out, including a missionary in northeast India who was responsible for 5,000 missionaries who day in, day out were sharing the good news of Jesus. There are some people who produce a crop way beyond anything that they might expect, and we rejoice with them. But the point is, most of us are not like that. Most of us, as followers of Jesus, we're like the third soil, which is why we're going to come back to next, sun, next Sunday and unpack it, because most of us, we don't end up like the seed that landed on the good soil. There are some who do. Most of us are not like that. But this morning, whenever you're listening to this, just consider the message that I'm sharing this morning about the good news of Jesus, the message that we read in the Gospels. What, kind of what is the soil of your life? What's it landing on? What kind of harvest is it going to produce? If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've recently started following Jesus, put down roots. Put down roots. If you're one who maybe if you stumbled across this recording and your your instant reaction is, no, I just this is not good news. It's bouncing off like that first seed that falls on the path. Just consider maybe there's a different way of, of looking at suffering and injustice. Maybe there's a way of holding together a God of love with the fact that we live in a world in which we experience suffering and injustice. So let's take a moment just of, of quiet, a moment just to, uh, to allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us, to ink into our hearts the thing that we need to remember or be inspired or, or challenged by. So, Holy Spirit, thank you that wherever we are listening to this message, uh, you're with us. And Holy Spirit, would you, in these moments unmistakably speak to us in that still small voice that you that you so often speak to us with just stir something stir something in our hearts and in our minds reveal to us a truth that we need to know this morning stir us to action if there's something that we need to do in response to this message But above all, may we hear and know the good news of Jesus, a message of salvation, a message of forgiveness and redemption. May our lives be changed as a result of hearing the word of God, of hearing your voice. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.